Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston. I'm your host for this episode and we're recording a few days after Manchester United drew 3-3 out in Turkey with Galatasaray in the Champions League and my colleague Samuel Lukast was in Istanbul. Samuel, before we get into the football talk, what was most stressful, getting into the game on Wednesday night or your journey to the office this morning? <laughs> Uh, it would it would still be the the, the Istanbul journey. That, yeah, that's that was, that, that, it, it was it was pretty unpleasant with with the rain and and, and the traffic and then there were police escorts for United's coach, uh, a police escort for Galatasaray's coaches, and then there were also police escorts for um, the, the buses of United fans. At that point, a lot of very irascible Turks um, got out of their cars and started angrily confronting. The traffic officers there who literally just stopped traffic on on the turn off going onto a motorway so uh it was it was it was carnage outside the stadium six of us ended up bailing on the motorway and hurdled a, a fence to make the the to walk the last 10 minutes or so and of course that meant we had to walk through um the, the, the sprawling contingent of galatasaray fans who had amassed outside the uh, the rams park stadium Fortunately, I was going to say no trouble, fine. no trouble yeah. at all, no mither. Uh, there were a couple of questions like are you, like in English as well. Manchester United fan was like, no journalists. In fairness, we we look like journalists. We all had our bags with us, and we didn't have. It's not like we had Scarves stone, stone yeah. We didn't have Stone yeah. Island jumpers and had <laughs> Ass Originals on or anything like that. So uh, yeah, I think they um, they they took a certain face value when we said that. I mean, you had an angry receptionist just on your back as well, leading into this into the podcast studio. So you could probably apply those comments to, to our morning, the 10 minutes we've just had before recorded. Anyways, the game, obviously free, free, an incredibly disappointing result, but it looked really good. I mean, 20 minutes uh, into the game, Ganacho scores a brilliant goal, rifles it into the net. Fernandez, what a strike that was as well. You're thinking, hang on a minute, this is Manchester United. They're actually, they've arrived, they're playing well. They're going to sail through uh, the game and throw away. Yeah, the the journey from hell to hell and to cover a hell of a game uh, that it was it was extraordinary, especially the last twenty minutes. Just how back and forth it was, and it felt like United had their best chances all evening um, in in that spell. And so much happened. Obviously, we'll get onto the goalkeeper, but some of the in-game management was questionable. Taking Garnacho off, and then Palistri who came on, and he was a logical player to bring on. But he had all those chances and you think if Garnancho had one of those chances, maybe he'd have got the goal. And then when it did end, I mean, the other extraordinary things that for all this, you know, we're going to clamp down on time wasting and we're going to put a lot of added time on. There was only two minutes in the first half, three minutes in the second half. And it was actually one of those games where you wanted minimum of five minutes of added time. Maybe Don't think anyone wanted it to stop, to be fair. It was no, no, it was such an absorbing game. And it, maybe if it did go on for five more minutes, perhaps United would have would have got that goal. But unfortunately for them, it's you know his, history repeats itself. At two 0 we were thinking, okay, this is going really well. But we have seen them squander a two goal lead away from home in Europe recently, and it, it happened again. And afterwards, clearly the the full guy of of the fallout is is Anana, and there the are no two ways about it. He did cost them, and it's it's strange watching United at the moment because in the Premier League. They're quite uninspiring. Um, the majority of the games recently, not so much the Everton one, have, have been a bit of a chore to cover. They've the, the, you know, the, the Luton win was turgid, and the, there've been some last-minute wins. They've been functional, they've been efficient, and through that, they're in a reasonably decent position. Only 
what they're sixth and only two points off Tottenham, somehow six points off first. In the Champions League, it's chaotic. It's kamikaze football, 12 goals scored, 14 goals conceded. It's, it's by far and away the most enthralling group stage they've been involved in since the, the treble win season. And like that season, um, it's going to come down to, to sorry, like that group stage in that season, it's going to come down to a final home game against Bayern Munich, where if if they do finish runners up to Bayern Munich, that will obviously that's the desired result. But that night it was a one-one draw, and obviously one-one will not do in a couple of weeks' time. It's incredible when you look at the Champions League group. I mean, yeah, you'd have scored twelve goals. The top scorers in the group more than Bayern. Oh, they scored more than Bayern. More than Bayern. <laughs> Bayern Munich has scored eleven, and they're bottom with four points, yeah. which is just remarkable. And I mean, they scored three against Bayern, Copenhagen, Galatasaray. And yet, they've not won one of those games. Look, I think we'll have to really get into Andrew Nana, as you've just said, because it almost feels harsh to lay responsibility solely at his door. There were still chances to win the game, but elite sport, it's hard enough to win without your goalkeeper committing absolute howlers. And those free kicks, any goalkeeper worth the salt, it just doesn't go in. The first one, he kind of commits, doesn't he? He takes a step and he gambles and he goes in. The second one, that's a mess. From a technical point of view, I don't know what he's doing with his hands. It's really, really poor. And we've saw examples of Anana struggling in the Champions League, struggling in the Premier League. I actually thought he turned a corner in recent weeks and he looked better, didn't he? Um, but that was a regression, again, and, and a really bad one. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's by far and away his worst night. Yeah, in, in United colours. Um, I mean, the, the people at the club made a big thing of... After the Bayern Munich game, he, he announced in the dressing room that he was going out there to speak to the media after his howler from the Leroy Sané shot. And he, he didn't do that on, on Wednesday evening when he when he left the mix zone. One of the club officials was was walking out with him with their arm draped around his shoulder. And it, that's maybe the treatment he's, he's going to need after um, all, all the column inches that have been dedicated to to him in the last 24 hours or so but as I said he, he is the fall guy because his, his goalkeeping was uh, suspect to put it mildly for I, I think for every every goal even that third goal when it went in I thought how, how the hell's that gone in I mean fair enough it was a terrific strike and I forget the pronunciation of his name but he was brilliant in the first game at Old Trafford he was so influential uh, I could talk little cat Karim is his first first name, I think it is. But he's but when I noticed he was on the bench, I thought I don't know why he's on the bench. And, and uh, Tangian Domble got a hell of a lot of stick when he was when he was brought off, which suggested that there was you know, surprise that he actually started. I think that was one of the questions from the Turkish media afterwards as to why Ndombele did start the game. But that third goal that can't go in from there. His, his position's not good enough. He's not guarding his near post. The, the second free kick is you, you're thinking like as soon as it goes in you think my goodness that's, that is probably worse than the Sane one um, th- there have been times when Anana's made saves this season where uh, Ty and I have discussed it or Ty and, uh, sorry Rich and I have discussed it where his technique does seem strange that when he saves a shot he almost always tries to get as flush a palm on it as possible now the best goalkeepers they know they know how exactly you've got to glove a ball away, whether it's a fingertip, whether you, you do need to hit it flush or how to divert it away because there might be a chance of the rebound. There have been some saves that Anana's made where but for a teammate coming in, uh, I think Sheffield, I think it happened at Sheffield United and Fulham, there would have been an opportunity on the rebound because he's he's got too much purchase on, on the contact with the ball. And... What he was, I mean, before Galatasaray scored the other night, he'd made some, I thought he looked quite haphazard. He wasn't particularly 
calm or assured. It wasn't like you're thinking, oh, he's he's having a, a, depend, a secure evening here. And that second goal, I mean, watching it back, I think what really, I mean, there, there's no, it's it's a really poor mistake anyway, whatever any, you know, nuance to the to the goal but watching it back there isn't a single Galatasaray player who gets near the ball and okay the trajectory that Ziyech has put in is it's it's inviting I think it's Marshall who makes an attempted intervention he, he goes for the header but still I don't think that can account for the goalkeeping and not just the goalkeeping of letting it in but he tries to I I couldn't, was it scoop or even shovel the That's ball out? He, he didn't try bizarre. and catch it, and it was a catchable. It was a catchable cross. I mean, it wasn't a shot from Ziyech. And uh, what what Ten Hag said afterwards, where he you know he gushed about Ziyech because obviously he coached him at Ajax, and he, he very briefly uh, would have liked him at United. He he preferred to focus on that, but Ziyech's technique. It, what they, these free kicks were eminently savable. They were pretty pretty harmless um the, the first one included where I don't think it's I mean Ten Hag said Ziyech isn't extraordinary but it wasn't an extraordinary free kick I mean Anana just somehow got wrong-footed by it but looking at it at the time even and again it was one of those games where our monitor wasn't working but fortunately um sometimes when you're so fixed on a game you can appreciate the brilliance or the dreadfulness of something. And as soon as these goals went in, I don't think anybody was you know, quibbling over, was that a goalkeeping error or not? It clearly was, whether it was the, the first goal or the third goal. The second one, it, it, it's one of, the, one of the worst mistakes I think I've ever seen by a United keeper. It's, I mean, it's got a lot to do with confidence. I think he was high on confidence last season. And I actually looked at the numbers uh, from in the Milan's campaign. Onanis conceded just 36 goals in all competitions last season. And at this stage, at this point, and we're already in December, 1st December a day, he's conceded 33. So the entire season, 36, and now he's conceded 33. I don't, to be fair, I don't think he played the entire season. I think he was on the bench at the start of, of last year. Um, but that just shows you, it can't be good for your confidence picking the ball out of the back of the net every week. Um, and you kind of see that in his demeanour, and I think it's playing with his mind. There was that little clip at full time where he took his gloves off and kind of stood with his hands on his hips. And it does look to me, like I say, playing on his mind. You've just ruled the line, Samuel, that he's, he was fear for his place uh, if going to the African Cup of Nations. We're yet to have that confirmed, whether he is going away with Cameroon. Um, it's a real possibility, isn't it? Because although we've not saw B India yet since his move from Turkey, um, if he comes in and does well in that period, and Anana continues to struggle until then, he might struggle to, to get his place back. Well, it happened a few seasons ago when De Gea went away on paternity leave and obviously there'd been an element of rotation with him and Dean Henderson and, and Henderson was told he would be starting these six games and across those games he, he did very well and when De Gea was available again because you had the the issue of, of quarantining as well if you went away and that would obviously delay a player's return so that, that's why Henson had six games. But when De Gea was back, Henson effectively became the number one, certainly in the Premier League. But such was Solskjaer's softness. There was an element of rotation going on. And I think he actually had adjusted the pattern of rotation to ensure that De Gea would start the Europa League final because he'd started um, playing in the Europa League when Henson thought, by rights, he should be in the Europa League. With, with Bayern it's it's strange that he's not had a game yet. He should have played against Palace in the League Cup. That was a very obvious opportunity. Even if he'd have had nothing to do all evening, at least you can see how he conducts himself and what he's like with, with the ball at his feet, whether he's competent or not, um, whether 
you know he he has a, a decent understanding with with teammates but as it stands, I think that the first game he would probably play in would be in the FA Cup third round, which, I mean, it could be an easy draw. It could be a really tough draw. The first league game would be against Tottenham at home, which, of course, is going to be a very important fixture given how well Tottenham, until recently, have been doing this season. But with Anana, I, I still can't, I mean, I can't see a scenario where he's he's dropped against Newcastle. This It'd week. make the situation worse, wouldn't it, if you yeah. if you dropped them? That's the. I mean, not, I mean, Ten Hag is, he didn't criticise him after the game. I don't think any any of us really expected him to, and uh, until that game on Wednesday night, he had had a quite steady period of improvement. I think that the last mistake he'd made was was probably the Brentford game. And even in that the Derby defeat, he was probably the only respectable performer. He made a very good save from Haaland and uh, he's made some other decent stops. He's had a few clean sheets that United haven't conceded a goal in 280 minutes in the Premier League. And of course, that's a, that's a collective effort. There have been some very good defensive performances at that time, mainly from, from Harry Maguire. But Anana has undeniably contributed to that. So to have had this sudden start regression, um, it's 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 a it's a big issue because I think what undermines his position now is that I mean the, the De Gea revisionism. I don't think any of us have had any time for. Um, I've I've never thought it was the wrong call to. Well, it was funny when the, I think the second goal went in or the third goal went in. I messaged you obviously out in Turkey and I said. If De Gea had been playing, they would win this game 2-3-0. Oh, yeah. But that wasn't a suggestion to say no. they should have kept De Gea, of course. No. And you knew that. And, and look, it's, it's December now and De Gea has still not got a club either, uh, which uh, rather speaks volumes of, of his, his standing and, and how, you know, how, a lot, how most major football clubs look upon him now. They, they see him as a, as a relic of a, of a bygone era, which is pretty harsh because I still think he's one of the best shot stops around. But he's judged on what? Keepers are judged on what they do with their feet as much with their their hands this season, uh, the, these days. It feels like, but I think, as I said, going back to the point, I think Anana has already made more mistakes this season than De Gea made last season. Um, and there were some really, really bad errors by De Gea last season. We think Brentford, Everton in the cup, United won that game, Sevilla, West Ham. Uh, the, the FA Cup final winner from Milkley Gundogan was was a, a, a poor poor piece of keeping but that's why it's so frustrating Sammy was sitting here eight months after that severe game which I thought was probably the beginning of the end effectively of David De Gea's time and we're sitting here discussing another goalkeeper performance letting United down in a European competition and you need your goalkeeper to perform they can't be committing such mistakes in massive games and Anana's not He's not a rookie, and twenty-seven. Yeah, exactly. he's twenty-seven. He's he's the same age Peter Michael was when he went to United. It's, it's a good age, I think, to recruit a keeper because it would suggest that they've banked quite a lot of experience. And he, he was in the Barcelona academy. He's played at big clubs in in Ajax and, and Inter Milan, Champions League semi-final and Champions League final. I, I I think we most of us agreed at the time that he was the most suitable external um, candidate to come in as United's new number one, even if he hadn't have played under. Ten Hag at Ajax as well. I think taking that out of the equation, he'd have been um, you know, a, a suitable option to come in and, and replace De Gea. And look, there's there's logic in going for him, but United being in United, they went about it in a rather illogical way. They they could have had him on a free twelve months earlier, um, but but they didn't. They they ended up spending nearly fifty million pounds on him, and. Anana has discovered very, very quickly that being the goalkeeper of Manchester United 
is very, very different to being the keeper at Inter Milan or, or Ajax. The, the scrutiny is, is probably unmatched, really, um, as, as far as the, the goalkeeper position at a club is concerned. And he's, he's buckled. There have been far too many errors. And as far as the Champions League campaign goes, if United go out of it, he will have cost them. No two ways about it. As bad as some of the defending has been, um, the, the collapse against Bayern Munich was sparked by his mistake. He sparked that collapse really against Galatasaray. I know Galatasaray had equalised again, but United went down to 10 men through his back pass and then he was far too easily beaten for the third goal. And of course, with the, the game in midweek, he was culpable for all three. Uh, you hope for his sake that if you know, if United get through, they can say, well, that penalty save from Jordan Larson, look how crucial that was. And that may still turn out to be the case. But so far, his Champions League campaign has been remembered for all the wrong reasons. That's what I was going to say. It's a shame because that fantastic penalty save, which yeah. we hoped would be the moment you kick on from, it's almost made redundant. If uh, Well, it is made redundant if the crash yeah, out of the year. Yeah. Regarding whether Bayern can actually uh, usurp him then in January, I guess we really don't know because we've not saw him, as you've just said, in public in a Manchester United shirt. No. And, and I, I don't think we're going to sit here and pretend that we're watching him in Turkey week in, week out. Well, you look at the games coming up in December, which is always a, a really busy month, and United have got a free midweek by virtue of being out of the League Cup, which can, doesn't help really, but given that Anana started against uh, Palace, we knew that he was going to start against Newcastle when, when they lost, but I think it's, it's Newcastle, Chelsea... Bournemouth, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, West Ham, Difficult run of fixtures, Villa, actually, isn't it? Uh, Nottingham Forest. So they've got eight, eight matches this month and there's not an obvious one that you look there and you think, yeah, Bayern Deer will get in for that. You, you're probably looking at the FA Cup third round, which would would obviously be the start of this this period of him um, playing playing probably six games in a row, provided that that Anana does uh, go on go on Afcon duty. I mean, the days when a reserve keeper would have a run out in for the reserves or, or the under twenty threes, they seem long gone now as well. But you, you half wonder whether there'd be some merit in that just to just to give him a game of some sorts. But I mean, the, the under twenty three fixtures seem to always be all over the place, and they often clash with the first team as well. So that's another reason why you don't see any first teamers dropping down there anymore. We'll leave it there then for part one. I'm we'll back in the moment for part two. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Samuel, when the team news uh, dropped in Turkey, were you surprised to see Sofian Amrabat start in midfield? Because I thought, I mean, we're on about making big statements, but 18-year-old Kobe Menu, he made his full debut, full Premier League debut against Everton uh, last weekend. He was fantastic at Goodison Park, and I thought he should have started. I mean, look, it was going to be a raucous atmosphere, it was. I mean, you can actually paint into words what it was like to be there. Um, but I think he offers more than Amrabat. I didn't think Amrabat did very good in the game. And when he came on, Mina was quite effective as well. And I mean, look, we'll look forward to the Newcastle game a bit later in this podcast. But I think he has to come back into the team for me. I think Amrabat did, he, he did okay by virtue of the team doing well. Uh, it was where they were playing well. And when he came off, they were 3-1 up as well. And I still think those those changes in particular the Marshall for Hoyland change um, were, were counterproductive and within 30 minutes of those changes it was it was 3-3 Galatasaray had scored um, twice but 
you know, I mean, Ten Hag said on the Tuesday, if you're, you know, if you're good enough, you're you're old enough, or words to that effect about Manu playing, and I think a lot of people probably assumed that Manu would start, but given the the atmosphere and you know, the importance of the game, it wasn't a. I don't think it was a massive surprise that Amrabat came in. I'll be honest, when I saw the team drop, I, I didn't like it, really. Uh, I don't know what Anthony had done to get a recall. I don't know what Amrabat had done to get a recall. The back four was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's back four. That said, Wan-Bissaka is much better at dealing with Wilfred Zaha than Diogo Dallo is, which clearly had a bearing on that decision. And um, in fairness, I thought wan did quite well. Anthony had one of his best games for United uh, he, he started really well and that was probably the reason why Garnacho came off because although it made sense to make a forward thinking change and energise the attack you, you thought well would, would you take Anthony off at that point he was he was doing quite well he, you know if it was one of the two going off you'd say oh that's a bit harsh on them and of course it was Garnacho and where he'd scored maybe it was more it, it, it got a bit more um, attention and the fact that he'd obviously scored a wonder goal at the weekend but United executed the, the, the game plan brilliantly up until the, the first goal went in. But it's just, I mean, I wrote it as a, the preview piece going into the game, that if they eradicate their mistakes, they will win this game. But we've been seeing that they, for weeks. But they didn't. Months. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't. And uh, not, not just with the goalkeeping, but also their, their game management is, is flaky. There was a former colleague who um, said to, I think he tweeted Rich saying, I failed to see where there was poor game management in the first half against Copenhagen. I don't know who tweeted Rich, but just off that comment, I know who it is. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking, well, you know, there's a big, big hint of the two goals being conceded in nine minutes after you, you lost a man. Uh, other teams would handle these situations better. City would have ensured in that position Copenhagen, if they were 2-0 up, there was no way they were losing the game. Well, sorry, you know, they'd have got something from the game. They'd probably have still have won it. Surely the players have to take responsibility for that, though, because there is a degree on the pitch when you're 2-0 up, you've got to look around, speak to each other, communicate, and just settle down, keep the ball, retain possession, and be clever with it. Yeah, well, so- and you don't tend to do that, do they? It's, it's chaos. And, and that, was, that was the compelling case to start Mainu, because he would have kept the ball. Amrabat is not good at keeping the ball. McTominay has got many pluses, as we've seen in recent weeks. Ball retention is not one of them. And that was always going to be an issue in that stadium because you do need to keep the ball in European football. That that competition is probably the, the one where ball retention is of the utmost importance. There are very few coaches who will get far in this modern era by not, not retaining the ball or not having the players out there to do that. And when they went 2-0 up, it, it was as if they thought, OK, we'll sit back now and let Galatasaray have a bit of the ball when it shouldn't be that. Galatasaray, yeah, newsflash, Galatasaray are not that good a team. They've got some really, really good individuals who can create something out of nothing. Collectively, I think they've prob- they are the most unimpressive in United's group. I think Copenhagen are a better team than them. And that's why it's so, it must be so galling for United, not just the fact that they've dropped eight points in these games, but against Galatasaray, they've taken one point and they've conceded six goals to a side that really just, uh, their game plan seems to revolve around individual moments. And they've got quality individuals like Icardi's goal-scoring record and everyone knows he's, he's 
he's been a good striker. Zaha was was a terrific winger for Palace. Ziyech had his time in the sun with with Ajax and Dombele. Even even though he's clearly unpopular in Istanbul, he has done some magnificent moments in his career. Even at Tottenham, where he had a, a pretty uh, tough time in his his first year or so. And the, the more that's that's the maddening thing for United that. They've they've found it easy scoring against these teams, but they're so porous against them, and that that's not just down to Anana because in Copenhagen they lost four three, and nobody was coming away from that saying you know, pinning the blame on Anana for that. There is a fundamental issue with their game management, and maybe maybe Mainu could be the one who has the transformative effect there. We'll come on to Anthony a bit then, because he, as you said, he does deserve praise. Do you know who put, put him in his panel team ahead of the game? Did you notice? Rich Fag, was it? No, I did. I did. Oh, did you? Which was, I expected some pelters of supporters for starting Anthony in my, my team. For, for listeners who don't know, we do a, a panel team where we select the players we would like to start, not the predicted team, uh, our preferred side. And yeah, I just had a feeling... I think more Pelestri, I don't trust Pelestri. I think he's effective off the bench. I don't think Ten Hag does. Well, that's the thing, and he has his moments. There was someone at United uh, at Open Training on Tuesday that was kind of singing Pelestri's praises, a member of staff, and saying how what he can offer off the bench and stuff. But I think you're kind of clutching with straws. Look, he's a young player, don't get us wrong, but he's probably not at the level to start for Manchester United, that's fair to say. Um, so, yeah, I give Andy the nod. He delivered, to be fair to him, one of his better games. It's probably his best performance this season, actually. Um, it's, it's literally his only good performance. Well, that's, that's the thing. And it's only fair to praise him because we have heavily criticised him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Look, when, when a player starts, you're not thinking, oh, I hope he plays badly because... You I'm want him to do well, of course, yeah. If he plays well, he, he deserves to you know, be praised for that. And the way Anthony played is the way you would want a left-footed right wing to play. He was getting the ball higher up the pitch. He was using the ball well. His interplay was really good. He, he contributed to the first goal and the third goal. There was a reason why Ten Hag kept him on as well. And I think, if anything, United, during that last 20 minutes where like it was just like tactical anarchy. Basketball it, it was, match yeah, at that point, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I, they, if anything, they didn't maximise him enough. I mean, Dallow came on and... Uh, although they left themselves a bit vulnerable to Zaha and Zaha did have a pretty good opening where his, his shot was quite that. harmless. Uh, Dallo was getting forward quite a lot, but it felt like that Anthony was kind of getting left by the wayside when they had these counter-attacks. And where we were so high up in the stadium, you could see just how much space there was there um, for United to exploit on these, on these breakaways. It, it was like a, it was like a five-side game, but with more space. And given that, at the end of it, you're thinking, how they only can, have they only scored three goals? That because they had innumerable chances. The best chances, as I said, probably came in in the last 15 or 20 minutes where they hit the post. McTominay put one just past the post when he should have hit the target. Palestri could have had a hat trick within the first five minutes of coming on, and then he still had an even better chance right at the death where he's he's got to score that where somehow the ball come, falls into his path. And looking back at that, I, Marshall, I, I'm no fan of, and I, I think he didn't do himself any favours in midweek. But that cross that it came from, I don't know how Dallow misses Marshall. Marshall, in fairness to him, he makes the right run near post. He's onside. If Dallow finds him, he gets a touch to it. It probably it just probably goes in automatically. Somehow Dallow couldn't even find him. But Galatasaray, being the team that they are, they somehow bundled the ball into Palistri's path and Mousselera in the end has to smother the ball at his feet. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, 
it was that was that was it was a breathtaking and it was the craziest game I think I've been at since the the Copenhagen game <laughs> only three weeks ago and we had a two week gap during that time as well for the internationals but that that is United in the Champions League this season and uh, in in a way it's, it's quite reassuring for the supporters that they're going to United games they're not dreading it it's it's absorbing stuff it's 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 great to watch um, there's there's a, a real determination about them they're playing stylish football some individuals are in a really good place at the moment and you know the league position is is looking a lot lot better than than maybe a month ago when they've won five of the last six i think they they're actually making progressive strides the problem is they are taking backward steps in the champions league and if you go out the champions league at the group stage questions have to be asked well also priya's gonna actually learn this part i think he's worth a mention because We've always said about him, like he needs to start affecting games from the first whistle when he when he actually starts makes the, the the first team because he's usually better from the bench. And in recent weeks, he's been brilliant. It's goal against Everton, breathtaking. Is he was really well taken finish against Galatasaray. So we're starting to see a bit of consistency, and that's what he's always lacked. If he can produce that week on week, there is going to be a really special player there because we know he's got a lot of talent, and it just needs to fall in place each week, doesn't it? I guess. It's it's not. It clearly wasn't the obvious takeaway from it. But United didn't miss Rashford in in Istanbul, and Garnacho has started. I think the last six games now, all of them on the left, uh, the left wing. Uh, Rashford has been has been absent for for a few of them. Uh, I think he was he was out of the team against Newcastle because they they rotate in the League Cup, and he was injured against Fulham. And of course, he was he was suspended in midweek. But I thought even before the Everton, uh, the Everton wonder goal, Garnacho had shown admirable traits uh, as a starter, that he was maturing more. In the second half at Fulham, he was he was quite threatening, having been unthreatening in the first half. Uh, he's, he's played in some you know some, some difficult atmospheres as well, uh, you know testing environments, and he's he's come out smelling of roses and to have to have gone to Everton and scored, to have gone to Galatasaray and scored as a, as a 19-year-old, that shows that, that shows the potential. I mean, everyone knows that he's got a very high ceiling and it's it's remarkable that at this stage of his career, having come to United just over three years ago during a, a pandemic and you know, how unsettling and how unnerving that must have been for, for a 16-year-old. To be where he is at the moment, having achieved everything's achieved with, with the Youth Cup winning team and played an FA Cup final, won the League Cup, played as many games as he has already for United. I mean, he was last season's academy legacy. This season, hopefully, it will be Kobe Mainu. But that's what I like about United. It feels like they are starting to get an identity back. They need to, they need to incorporate that into their Premier League games, their domestic games, because... Even at Everton, although the second half they were quite professional, the first half somehow they were they were one nil up at half time without creating a chance. So there's a lot of room for improvement as far as the performances are concerned in the Premier League. But if if Garnacho's on the wing, Manu's in midfield, Fernandez is the playmaker, Hoyland's up front, and if Anthony can continue playing that way, and McTominay's been on a good run of form reporters supporters we're going to look forward to going to to see united play and that's that hasn't always been the case this season it it has been as i said earlier it has been a chore at times watching them hopefully we're coming to the end of that now because it does feel like they are playing i mean ten Hag said that they, they, they play the way i like them to play and they've not done that anywhere near enough this season and that's what makes it so galling for united that they're playing pretty well in european games but 
in the last two, they've lost one and they've drawn the other. Just give a few mentions to a few youngsters quickly. Uh, you mentioned Ganacho, Kobe Menu, uh, Dan Goals on the bench as well, and Joe Hugel. Four of those players were part of that FA Youth Cup winning squad. So to see them 18 months on, part of that first team that went across to Turkey, that's fantastic. And Menu did really well when he came on, I thought, very composed. Uh, we'll leave it there for part two, and we'll be back in the room for part three. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, just going to give you a quick mention uh, to Football Out of the Air at Reach. I believe it's done across the whole network. So you are voting for your favourite United player, uh, Marcus Rashford, Casemiro, Mary Earps and Bruno Fernandes uh, in the calendar year of 2023. So if you go across onto the website, vote for your favourite player. And I believe they do compete against other clubs' players and eventually someone comes out on top. Now that's done, Samuel, back to the podcast and the Newcastle preview. A massive game, as you smile there as I say that, on Saturday night. 8pm at St James's Park. It's going to be electric, the atmosphere. Um, Newcastle had PSG in midweek, 1-1 in the end uh, in, in France. They were very unfortunate not to win that game. You text me uh, when PSG were given that penalty and you said, terrible decision. I obviously said, I concur. Um, but no, in all no, seriousness... No expletives whatsoever. <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, it is going to be a tricky match because uh, United lost 2-0 there in April last season. There's obviously the added dynamic of that game in the Carabao Newcastle's Cup. record against United in the league is, it's is very good since, since Howe came in. Yeah, and there's that game in the Carabao Cup when Newcastle rocked up, I think, with their reserves, their second reserve team in the one. So it's not going to be straightforward. No, it's, it's going to be another... I mean, I think, if anything, United have maybe exceeded expectations and these two tests and away games have taken four points from them. As, as disappointing as um, the, the conclusion was in, in Istanbul, the, the Everton win, very good win, you know, great, some, some brilliant goals. And that's the other thing at the moment. United seem to be scoring some really, really good goals, team goals, individual goals. Uh, but with Newcastle, it's 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 another opportunity. If if I think if they win at Newcastle of the three these three away games, that would be the statement. I think if they were to win at Newcastle, you can say that's a statement win. Even if they don't play particularly well, you'd imagine they'd have shown admirable um, traits to have, to have got over the line. But it's 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 a tall order, even with the issues Newcastle have had. As far as uh, you know, injuries in the squad and, and, and what have you, but I think if anything, the atmosphere will even will be even more charged after the the injustice in in Paris, where it was a preposterous penalty decision. I mean, I I am never one for conspiracy theories, but when given that the PSG uh, president was sat next to the UEFA president in the stands. Uh, I think Newcastle fans can be forgiven for... You just, for, you just know he's a good bloke because he actually had Saudi Arabia on his right shoulder and Qatar <laughs> on his left shoulder. You can imagine, you, 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 I'd be understanding Newcastle fans would flag that and say, you know, is this is there not a bit of a conflict of interest here? Should, should a UEFA official be watching a game of that magnitude in the company of, of uh, Nasser Al-Khalifi, who obviously has uh, is involved with UEFA as well, but... It wasn't a good look, put it that way, after what happened in, in added time with that uh, ridiculous VAR intervention and reading the reports for the next day, how oh, this guy, is, he's really good on VAR, he's highly rated. How, how do you highly rate someone on VAR? Like, as we said before, a good referee is one who goes unnoticed and unfortunately we always notice them um, these days. 
but United, uh, their, their form in the Premier League is, is very good. They've, they've won five of their, their last six. And if they can build on the Everton game, and I think it's a tall order to expect another another 3-0 win at Newcastle. But they, they do feel to be, feel like, it feels like they're in a better place now, even though there are bigger tests coming up and the away form this season, they've beaten the bottom three. Uh, they, they won at Fulham who I don't know where they are now because they they beat Wolves the other night, but they were they were fifteenth uh, last weekend. They yeah, they've become bottom half uh, of the table follow this season. United's away form is mirroring their away form last season, where they beat the bottom six or seven, and, and Wolves they they didn't beat anyone away from. Took them. one point from the top nine, which That's it. mentioned I think, that I think it was just yesterday. Fulham, wasn't it? It was Fulham were the only team maybe in, who finished in the top half that they won at. Um, so it was only eight wins away from home in the league last season and six of them were against the bottom six, if I'm not mistaken. So they need to address that. They need a... That's why, again, it would be a statement because they have not had a big away win for a really, really long time. The Everton win was the first 3-0 in the league since Oleg and Solskjaer's last win in management uh, at Tottenham in October 2021. And that may well be the last... You know, inverted commas big when they had and Tottenham were not you know that, that was although it was a big game going into it it was also Nuno Espirito Santos last match in charge for Spurs because he was he was sacked two days later so it was almost there was almost like a, a an asterisk to that to that victory but it's it's a it's a big challenge going to Newcastle at any time even when we went there Rich and myself for the I think it must have been a four thirty kickoff on the Sunday last uh, last season in, in in April, and the atmosphere was terrific that day. It's I, I'd like to think it'll be even better. I mean, for the first time at a football match on Wednesday, my my ears hurt uh, from from the noise from Galatasaray fans. It, it, what they did at kickoff, the choreography and the chant that just they summoned, and then the the, the whistles when United had the ball, that was an experience unlike anything else and I've ever. To be fair to the players, because we we've, we've talked about this problem at Lemsley's podcast, where we see this group of players, this dressing room, tend to struggle in in big crowds and big atmospheres. Yeah. But Goodison Park grieved them Evertonians, oh, yeah, and then obviously won three 0 They performed well in Galatasaray. Yeah. If it wasn't for Andrew Nana, we'd be talking about a fantastic yeah. victory. So there's, there's optimism going into this game. I, I think so. It really think, is. Yeah, that was the crux of my, my piece this morning. It was, uh, I mean, I was really struggling for a headline on it because it's it's strange. There's there's clearly you know a lot of focus on Nana and United could go out of the Champions League. But I, I do genuinely believe that they are making progressive strides at the moment and they're playing, they're playing good football more often than not. Um, they're, okay, they're functional and efficient in the Premier League, but they've got to use that as a building block to play as, as stylishly as they have been playing in the Champions League. And, and if they can do that against Newcastle, then I think people will start to believe that they could they could actually have a successful season because a month ago, maybe even sooner, there was a danger that this season was would, would possibly peter out long before may well it couldn't have looked much worse i think at that point uh, we'll just end with the starting lineup then would you make any changes obviously rashford was suspended in midweek he missed that game in europe i think he'd probably return to the team for me um for all anthony was was excellent as we've just touched upon he had one of his better games fairness anthony did okay at st james's part last season and he Seems to. But there'll be no Dan Byrne starting. On, on Will it be Lewis Livermento? Livermento. He was a fantastic addition to, to Newcastle, yeah, so yeah, that'd be a challenge. Well, obviously, we've discussed Menu as well. I'd, I'd put him back put into the Put Menu in. I'd, I'd probably go with uh, certainly Menu. 
I, I'd, I'd keep Anthony in with with Garnacho, but mainly for Amrabat would would be one change. I mean, I, I know Newcastle are very strong in midfield, and United got that balance wrong at St James's Park last season when it was Sabitzer started. I'm trying to think who else started with him because I think Casemiro Fred was started, suspended. You know. Might have been Sabitzer and Fred because um, it, it, no, it wouldn't have been Tomney. So I think I think it probably was Sabitzer and Fred because I think Christian Eriksen was still injured, Casemiro was suspended, and McTominay wasn't really getting a look in. At it, was, it was, it was McTominay, actually, yeah. Right. It's McTominay, Sabitzer and Fernandes. Yeah, well, I think I think Sabitzer and Fred would have been more yeah. balanced, um, but Sabitzer and McTominay, that, that would have been an issue. So um, it wasn't a surprise that United did get overrun quite often in that game. Uh, Wambasaka did pretty well in, in, in the week, uh, but I thought Dallow did decently at Everton last week. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ten Hag changes back there and it feels also although there was a reason of getting Dallow on to make an attack minor change it does feel like Wambasaka he's he's not played a huge amount of 90 minute games this season I know he's out injured for a two month spell but that probably comes into Ten Hag's thinking as well I think you'd have to start Wambasaka actually when you think Anthony Gordon's probably been one of Newcastle's best players this season and he's going to cause problems down that side. An interesting subplot to the game, obviously if we see Kobe Manu coming into the team, Newcastle will likely start Lewis Miley who's 17 years old so you've got two young English midfielders there and that'll be a really interesting dynamic in the centre of the pitch. Yeah, absolutely and um, it's, it's, it's good that Eddie Howe was showing faith in someone so young as well to have actually started him in the week. I mean, there was a lot made of the the stats in that game because PSG had what eighty odd percent possession or whatever it was, and all these it showed how they had all these shots goal. But I never had really high, got had the, high XG. Well, <laughs> actually, watching the game, I didn't think that Nick Pope really needed to make a, a really. It wasn't like his his goal was being peppered with shots, or he was having to make stupendous save after stupendous save. I think. Newcastle did a pretty good job of, of containing PSG and PSG were getting quite desperate with their appeals and so much so that a desperate appeal somehow led to um, you know, a really, really ridiculous penalty award. And we'll leave it there, Samuel. Thank you very much for your time. It should be a cracker on Saturday night. It should be. Looking forward to it. And thanks for listeners as usual. Check out the socials, etc. Uh, I do have to give a mention to the TikTok as usual, reluctantly. So if you're a TikTok uh, man or woman, head across there, check it out. Uh, but have a great weekend. Thank you very much. 